And today we're talking about the challenge of answered prayer. Answered prayer is not always easy. We ask God for things, and we sometimes are so sure that what we, if we get what God gives us, everything will be so cool. I mean, if we get what we want, if God gives us what we want, everything will be so cool. Life will be so easy. But you know what? A lot of times there's challenge in answered prayer. There's, uh, when God gives us what we ask for, or when God, and more importantly, gives us what he wants for us, sometimes it means that we have to do uh, things that we never thought we'd have to do before. We have to think in a different way. I want to give you an example from uh, Acts chapter 12. This is a story that's, that, that some of you will know and some of you may never have heard. Um, it's a story of a young lady named Rhoda who was a servant girl. And uh, she lived in the house of, uh, where, where, in, in Jerusalem where the church met most of the time to pray. And on this particular occasion, they were meant to pray because Peter had been arrested for preaching the gospel uh, there at the temple area in Jerusalem. He'd been arrested, been thrown down into prison. They'd put a double chain on him. He was behind two locked doors. And the church gathered to prayer. And they prayed hard. They were praying. They, they figured they were going to have an all-night prayer vigil for him. And uh, meantime, Peter's in jail, and he's praying too. And he gets the gift he first asked for, which was, which was to go to sleep. And then suddenly, there was an angel with him. And he and and the angel loosened his chains, and the angel took him by the hand and said, "Come on, let's go." Took him through the first door of the prison. He said, "Come on, let's go." Opened the second door, and all of a sudden, he was out in the street, and the angel disappeared. Well, Peter, knowing he was laying down, going to sleep, he thought it was a dream. Until that moment, he looked around. He really was on the street. You check it out. It says in in NIV, it says when it finally dawned on him that it really was happening. So he went to the place where they were praying. He knew they were having the prayer vigil. He went to the place they were praying. He knocked on the door. Rhoda, the servant girl, left the prayer meeting and and went to the door. And she said, and, and he said, it's me, Peter, let me in. And she got so excited because her prayers were answered. She ran back and she opened the door. She ran back in and she says, Guess what, everybody? Peter's at the door. Our prayers have been answered. And all the important people in the church said, Oh, I can't be. We're praying. Don't bother us, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter to be released. He's at the door. And she kept being so insistent. They finally went to the door and let him in. And lo and behold, he was there. Answered prayer was a challenge for them. Because even though they were praying, they were in a hard time believing that their prayer could be answered. That happens to us sometimes when we're praying for a loved one who is far from the Lord. Maybe into some pretty bad stuff. And when they finally come to themselves and come to the, more importantly, come to the Lord... Maybe somebody else gets to lead them. Maybe you've been praying for them and talking to them about God for 20 years, and they meet somebody, and somebody new, and what that new person says clicks with them. And all of a sudden, they make a commitment to Christ. Well, sometimes it's really hard to believe that. 
you know, the next time you're together at Thanksgiving with that cousin or that brother and you're, you're watching for him to sneak it off smoking weed in the backyard like you used to or, or, or doing something really weird like, you know, doing something weird. You're keeping an eye on him, you know, because you, you can't quite believe it's really happened. Sometimes answered prayer is hard to, to completely understand. For parents, sometimes answered prayer is a challenge. We'll get back to that one. I want to talk about uh, at our church in Kokomo, we outgrew our building and we planned to move. We found a piece of land. We bought the land. We paid for the land, believe it or not. And, uh, but we, we weren't moved yet. And in the middle there, I fell off the stage and broke my skull and it kind of put things back, set things back for about a year before we got on with our stages of moving. But finally, we were ready. We put the, we thought we were ready. I told, I thought we were ready. I told the church we were ready. Enough of them agreed with me that they voted to put the church up for sale. And I told them with all confidence, it'll probably take six months to a year to sell it. And we'll probably only get about 60% to two-thirds of what it's worth. That's because the market for used churches was not real big in Kokomo at the time. Guess what? In two weeks, the church sold for that for, little, for right at two-thirds what we were asking. I mean, really what we thought we could possibly get. This doctor came and wanted to buy our building. We were right across the street from a hospital. He wanted to put in a women's clinic. His name, I'm not kidding, his name was Dr. Hot. I was afraid he was going to hang a sign from the cross that said, Hot Women's Clinic. <laughs> That's not a lie. <laughs> that is the absolute truth. But anyway... Dr. Hot had the money in hand. He wanted to buy. So we had to go back to the church to actually vote. We'd only voted on moving like five times. This is the fifth time we were voting on moving. But this is really it. We took the money. We had to go somewhere because Dr. Hot was going to start bringing women in there, you know, to look for, for, for examination, you know. Well, that still sounds bad. <laughs> you know what I mean, you dirty-minded people. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, that was a challenge. That answered prayer was a challenge because suddenly we had to figure out where we were going to meet. We had two months to get out of the church. And our building was going to take 18 months to build. Our new building was going to take 18 months to build. And we couldn't start it until we got the money from Dr. Hot. You understand what I mean? So what do we do in the meantime? You know, so we're scrambling all around. We've got to move. Now we've got to move twice you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it was an answered prayer. But the answered prayer brought a challenge to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't think that that prayer is... uh, Sometimes God answers our prayers to call us deeper into him and make us more dependent on him. As a church, we became more dependent on him because I sure didn't know where we were going to meet, you know? And he had it all planned out. We found a church that let us borrow their, their facility. And they had service. They had two services, and we, uh, one at, I think, 9 and one at 11, and we had a service at 10 in between, something like that. It was pretty cool. Um, answered prayer. Excuse me. Sometimes I forget I'm old. 
Answered, or pray, answered prayer, whether, it's yet, whether the answer is yes or no or wait. And I don't know if Jared's talked about that, but that's the three ways God normally answers prayer is yes, no, or wait. And uh, any of those answers does not ensure an easy path for us. Think of the story of the Exodus. You know that story, don't you? You know, where Moses led the people of Israel, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and led them to the promised land. If you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you know the story, you know? How uh, he, went, he went to ask, uh, well, tell Pharaoh that God wanted him to let his people go. And Pharaoh's going, they're my slaves. They ain't going anywhere. And he said, well, okay, then this is what God's going to do. And he told him about a plague. And a plague came. He went back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I ain't letting him go. That happened ten times. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, they can go. And Moses, read that in in Exodus. It's an exciting story. Moses leads them out. And they go across, and they're, they're headed toward the promised land, toward what is now Israel. And they come to the Red Sea. Well, that wouldn't be so bad, except that Pharaoh decided he didn't want to let them go. So he sent his army after. And they had the finest army in the world. 600,000 Israelites there with this big army and coming in chariots and stuff. And uh, the people are getting a little worried. Moses is getting a little worried. And God says, don't worry. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Makes an easy answered prayer, right? <laughs> okay, God, there's an army there. There's a sea here. What do I do? He said, raise your staff. He raised his staff. The sea parted. The people all went through it, Right? And when they got to the other side, God said, hmm, I'm, I'm tired of holding the seat. Right on Pharaoh's army. Great story, but that's not the end of the story. Now they're in the desert. Now they've left the greatest civilization that, on earth at that time, and they're in a wilderness. Now, if you're my age, you may have heard the word wilderness the first time when Davy Crockett was on TV. You remember? Or, or if you're a little younger, Daniel Boone was on TV. They lived in the wilderness. Well, their wilderness was Tennessee and Kentucky and Virginia. Not the same wilderness over there in Egypt and between Egypt and Israel. Those folks know how to throw a wilderness, boy. It is dry, absolutely dry. There are the only time you see any plants are at an oasis where there's a spring or in the, in the valleys of, ver- of the very, very few streams that there are, and everything is rocky. I mean, absolute, if rocks were worth anything, they, they would have been rich beyond anybody's wildest dreams. And they were out in this with 600,000 men, women, and children. And pretty soon, guess what? They decided, you know, they'd prayed for 400 years to be released from the slavery with the Egyptians. And God sent Moses to release them. Moses had prayed from the time he was a young boy, Lord, I'm willing to lead the people out. And he had some interesting circumstances to his birth and everything, and he was in an interesting situation to be a leader. And the first time he tried, they rejected him. Forty years later, he goes back, and they follow him this time. Prayer's answered, right? But now they're in the wilderness. It's a challenge. 
when your prayer is answered. Listen to some of the stuff that the Israelites said. It's going to come up on the board. After they'd been to the Red Sea, after they'd, not long after they'd been through the Red Sea, says, the Israelites said to Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Oh, I thought you wanted out from being slaves. Then, a little bit later, Moses sent 12 guys to go out, spy out the promised land. And uh, they came back and they had great reports about the promised land. So it is a land. God had told them it was a land flowing with milk and honey, whatever that means. But it must be good, okay? And they came, they came back and said, indeed it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And it has great produce. They brought back great bunches of grapes so big it took two guys to carry them. They, put, they tied the grapes, the bunch of grapes to, the, to a pole, and two guys carried the pole to bring them back to show them what great crops they had there, figs, you know, grain, all kinds of stuff. They were, but they said, yeah, it's great land and it's got great stuff, but there are walled cities there and they're fortified. And in some places, the sons of Anak live. The sons of Anak were a race, a, a, a tribe of giant people. You've heard of the Watusis in Africa. They're all seven foot six. This was that kind of a deal. The sons of Anak. The Nephilim was another name they were called. They were a race of giants. And they lived up in the hill country near, near where Hebron is now. And they said, we look like we saw ourselves as grasshoppers compared to them. And so 10 of the, slides, 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. There's no way we can do it. No way we can take that land. God brought us out here for nothing, apparently, because we can't take that land. And then there were two, Joshua and Caleb, that said, you know what? It is a great land. God's given it to us. Let's go get them. said, if God's with us, they're, they're grasshoppers in our eyes. Let's go get them. Well, they wouldn't go because they believed the report of the ten. And, boy, it was a major, major upset. This is one of the things that said during that time. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wah, 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 wah. They sound like Eeyore, don't they? Uh, and they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. This was a moment of, of uh, great tenseness as they were ready to throw Moses away. And God, um, well, he took care of the ringleaders. I can't remember if that time he, th there were three or four times in that 40 years he had to do something like this. I can't remember if that's the time he opened up the ground and they fell in <laughs> to their deaths or if that was the time that he uh, sent a plague. But anyway, he got rid of those, uh, of those that would lead them back, that wanted to raise up a leader to go back to, uh, to Egypt. I mean, go back, yeah, go back to Egypt. Uh, and so they were stuck there. The problem was God said, okay, okay, okay. You guys are afraid to go? You know, I don't know if that's the way God talks or not, but 
helps me to understand it when I think of him saying it that way. He said, okay, you guys are afraid to go. Your children are going to go, but y'all are going to die here in the desert because you're afraid to go. And so for 40 years, they wandered around in the desert while the next generation grew and got strong and learned what they needed to learn to live in the promised land and to take the promised land. During the wandering, they said, now there was no water for the community. It says, there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Talking about when when they tried to do a rebellion. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. Now, until just a few years ago, nobody in America wanted a pomegranate anyway. <laughs> and, there, and there's no water to drink. And... Um, then another time, it says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around to Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God, against Moses, and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. Boy, were they gripey people. There was no bread. They were right. But God gave them a, a thing called manna, which was a food he literally sent down to them every day. Um, it's kind of a mysterious food, and I'm not going to go into all that, but it was something that, that, that sustained them. And then when they griped because they had no meat, God sent them quail. Quail just all of a sudden appeared in the middle of the desert, flew in, big flock. When they landed, they were knee-deep. And then they griped because, well, all we got is quail. I'm kind of, don't like chicken. I don't like chicken. <laughs> I don't like poultry. <laughs> So, what am I trying to say by telling you all that long story? Besides that I enjoy, this, I enjoy storytelling. Uh, the answer to prayer does not ensure an easy path. It doesn't ensure an easy path uh, when, you, when you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be your man, I want to be your woman. I'll do whatever you, whatever you call me to do, I'll do. And then guess what? He calls you to do something. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's real hard. Only one in five pastors, after they felt called, after they've been educated, only one in five make it past the first five years of pastoring, and then they drop out. Four out of five will drop out because it's so hard, because it's so difficult. I know you guys think Jared only works one day a week, but no, he works hard. And People tend to make it difficult. And he rejoices, and I rejoice in the way you guys treat him and the way, uh, the, the way you act. But sometimes it's really hard. Um, I, had a, I have a friend, Don Smith. In fact, he, he and his twin brother led me to the Lord. Don, they're both married to Chris. Different Chris's, thank God. But they're both married to Chris. There's two Chris Smiths. Chris, yeah, anyway. And Don was called... To go be, um, several years ago, he was called to go be the president of the Church of God College in uh, Kenya. Now, Chris had followed Don all over the country. He had pastored in Kansas. They pastored in Indiana. They pastored in Ohio. They pastored in Traverse City, Michigan. 
And Don, Don had always said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, Lord. But he didn't really figure he was going to be a missionary. And especially his wife didn't figure they were going to be missionaries. And all of a sudden, he's saying, the Lord's calling us to Kenya. And she's going, ah. They'd been married like 35 years at that time. And they're going, ah. She's going, oh, my gosh. And reluctantly, she went. And she knew she was going to hate it. Came back on their first furlough in about two years. And she was so excited about what the Lord was doing. But she was so scared. It wasn't easy living in a different culture, living in a a place halfway around the world from your children was not easy. It was a challenge. But the Lord sustained her, and the Lord made her, taught her to love it, and they were effective in that place. Challenge, the, the answered prayer is not always easy. It's not always easy to be a parent, as I started to say a while ago. Um, Parenting is just hard. You just pray and pray and pray to have a kid, and then that kid cries all night. That kid gets colic. That kid acts up. That kid, believe it or not, they become teenagers, and they think you're the dumbest thing that would ever live. They can't figure out how you know how to breathe. <laughs> the glorious thing is when, you're about, when they get to be about 19 or 20, maybe 25, suddenly you grow a brain again, you know. <laughs> but... Parenting is not easy. They, you know, last time you ever have any privacy. The last time most mothers go to the bathroom by themselves is the day before they have their baby. You know? You pray for that, and then it's not so easy. And especially if you're like my friends Bill and Marjorie uh, Norris. They prayed for, for their children. They had two, a boy and a girl, and their, their son was born first. He was a great student, athletic. He was going to go to Anderson and go into ministry. And at the last minute, right before he decided to go, he decided, nah, I'm going to go to UC Davis. And we, they, they live in California. I'm, we're going to go to UC, I'm going to go to U, University of California in Davis, which was known at that time as one of the biggest party schools in the country. And I was his youth pastor, and I thought, oh, gee, Mike, you're the one kid I thought was going to do something <laughs> for the Lord, you know? And he went there and he got involved in a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And he spent four years learning the computer. And when he got out, he felt called by the Lord to be an underground missionary in Turkey. Because you can't openly be a missionary in Turkey. You have, if you're going to be in a country like Turkey, you have to go for some other reason. And then you talk about Jesus on the side. He even gave us code words to use if we wanted to communicate him. We couldn't call Turkey, Turkey. We'd call it Narnia, where it's always summer, always winter, never Christmas. Uh, we couldn't use the word ministry when he asked him about how his, how his ministry was going. We had to figure out another way to say it. Um, mostly, we just waited for him to communicate with us. But he went as a computer specialist. This was in the uh, early 80s, okay? He went as a computer specialist. He, spent, he and his wife spent 20 years, had three kids born there in Turkey, as underground event, but imagine when he went to tell his parents, "I'm going to go to I'm going to go to a Muslim country. Don't worry, it's only Turkey. It's not as hard nosed as some of the others. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, be a, uh, I'm going to do something ill that they don't like. That's pretty much illegal. That would get me thrown out of the country if they found out I was doing it. But I feel like the Lord is leading me to do that. I'm going to be a computer specialist, but I'm on the side. I'm going to tell people about Jesus." 
I remember Bill and Marjorie had a really tough time with that. And they had to remember the day that they came forward to dedicate their child to the Lord. When they stood before the congregation and said, we want you, congregation, to help us to raise this boy to be the man and that God wants him to be and to do the things that God wants him to do. And when it came time, when, it, when Mike was 22 years old and God made it clear that he wanted him to go be an underground missionary in Turkey, that was pretty tough for Bill and Marjorie, who were strong Christians, to handle. It ain't always easy to get your prayer answered. They wanted to be God's man, but God, but can he be God's man over there in uh, the next town? They lived in Fresno. Couldn't he have been God's man in Visalia, you know? Answered prayer is often a challenge. God's timing. Another thing is about God's timing. God's timing is God's timing. He makes you wait sometimes. He he moves when he moves. The um, story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was uh, a servant, a high servant for uh, the emperor in uh, in the Persian Empire, and uh, he was the wine taster, cupbearer is what the Bible calls him. But basically, what he did is anything anything that was brought to the king to drink, he had to drink it first, make sure it didn't have poison in it. What a wonderful job, isn't it? But the king liked him. And one day, Nehemiah had been thinking about his hometown, Jerusalem, and that the walls had been, had been destroyed when uh, the Babylonians had taken it over. For the, and uh, it was sitting out there in the middle, uh, on the hills there, and it had no walls. Anybody could come in and steal anything. There weren't very many Jews lived there anymore, and everybody, you know, it's just a mess. And some of the Jews had been allowed to go back, but there wasn't anything there in the wall. And in those days, if the walls were down in a city, it was defenseless. And he'd been thinking about that. He'd heard reports about that. And he said, I'm sad. I'm sorry to be sad in your presence because that could be a capital offense, to be, sad, to, be, to be sad, noticeably sad in the presence of the emperor. He said, and he told him what happened, and the emperor gave him letters, said, you go. You build that wall. If you want that wall, go build that wall, Nehemiah. I like you. And so Nehemiah went, and he got the support to do it. Uh, some of the people grumbled. The, the, the other uh, cities around there, the other that weren't Jewish, uh, the other the people in the, in the area, they were, they were mad. They didn't want Jerusalem to have a wall again. The bandits in the area didn't want Jerusalem to have a wall again. But they started it, and they built it. And they built it in 52 stinking days. That's pretty fast to build a wall around a whole city. And they had to, a lot of it they had to do with a weapon in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. 52 days, but it was God's 52 days. 70 years it sat there without a wall, but in 52 days it was taken care of. You know, sometimes we think, gosh, God, I've been praying about this for a long time. Don't give up hope. God's timing is God's timing. You know, sometimes the answer, his answer to you is wait. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes wait's almost the hardest to take because you keep wondering. You keep wondering, is today the day? (laughs) 
The Bible's full of these kind of stories when people met the challenge of answered prayer and they did what God directed. Think about the guy that uh, Jesus met one day sitting by the pool waiting for it to be disturbed. It's supposed to be from time to time. It was said it was disturbed by, a, by an angel and uh, by, by, by the Spirit of God and uh, whoever got in the pool first would be healed. So people, sick people sat all the way around the pool of Bethesda in, in uh, Jerusalem. And this one guy had been there for like 38 years, but he never had anybody to help him in, and he couldn't move. His feet were messed up. He couldn't move, couldn't get in there quick enough. Somebody always, always beat him. And uh, Jesus, you know what Jesus said to him? First thing he said to him wasn't be healed or get up. He said, do you want to be healed? And that's a question sometimes. Do you really want God to answer your prayer? Do you really want him to answer your prayer? Do you really want him to give you a wife? Do you really want him to give you that job because it's got headaches that goes with it? Do you really want it? Jesus said to him, do you want to be well? When the man said, yes, I do. Grabbed him by the hand, picked him up. But sometimes, uh, then, then also, also uh, think about uh, when Paul uh, felt called to go to Macedonia in the book of Acts. He had other plans, but he, but he had a vision that, was, that he was called to go to Ma- Macedonia and start spreading the gospel in what's now Europe. Uh, that, was a tough, that was a tough road to hoe, going to a brand new culture and trying to, to relate the gospel. But the Bible also has examples of people shying away from uh, the answer that God gives them to their prayer, like the Hebrews that the generation of Hebrews that were afraid to, to go on, that all they could do in the wilderness was gripe. Or like the rich young ruler, you know, the guy who came to Jesus uh, in his Armani suit, driving his Jaguar, and, uh, well, actually, his driver was driving his Jaguar, you know, and I'm making that part up, but he was a rich guy, obviously a rich dude, who came up, to Jesus and the disciples, he went right up to Jesus and said, Hey, look, tell me what i got to do to be saved. And Jesus listed a couple of things about how good you have to be. He said, Man, I do all that. He says, But he see, he still had a need in his heart. And Jesus said to him, You go sell your stuff and give all your money to the poor. Then you can come and follow me. Now, he didn't make that demand on anybody else. Didn't make that man, demand on Peter. Didn't make that demand on John, who were businessmen. He only said that guy because he knew that the guy's stuff was standing between him and a full commitment. And the guy was unwilling to let his stuff go. And he's the only person that you can find in the New Testament that walked away from Jesus sad. The Bible says he walked away Sad. Now, some people walked away from Jesus angry, but he's the only guy that walked away from Jesus sad. Why? Because there was an he 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 prayed. I want to be saved. I want to. I'll do what you know. I want to be saved. But when God told him, when Jesus told him what what it meant to do, which is put God first, he couldn't do it, and he walked away sad. I mentioned that our church in Kokomo sold so fast. That answer made, like I said, for a lot of real challenges. And during that time, 
was there was a little book out called The Prayer of, Jab- of Jabez. Did, did you guys read that? It was a big deal. There were uh, a lot of churches had small groups studying that book. And The Prayer of Jabez says this. It, it's, it, up until that book was written, there's a real little-known prayer stashed in the book of First Chronicles. It says, Jabez cried out to the Lord. I, I'm sorry. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free of pain. Or it could be translated, or I might not cause pain. And God granted his request. And, and a lot of us prayed the prayer of Jabez. Our church had, had gone through the course, and, and we were praying the prayer of Jabez. And then God all of a sudden sold the church. And now there are all kinds of challenges. Well, when God answers that prayer, when God answers, when you ask him to bless you and he answers and and he blesses you. Sometimes that blessing comes with a whole new set of responsibilities. Suppose you won Publishers Clearinghouse this year. Guess what? You'd have a whole lot of responsibility and a whole lot of relatives, by the way, that would show up. When God answers your prayer, and expands your territory, as Jabez put it, are you really ready to move ahead in faith? If God answered your prayer, are you really ready to take on that challenge? He'll give you the strength if you will trust him. But sometimes his idea of how strong I am is a lot more, a lot, he thinks I'm a lot stronger than I think I am, you know, sometimes. Has that ever happened to you? It takes faith to believe that God will answer a prayer. But it often takes even more faith to deal with that answer once you get it. We looked at, uh, at sometimes when people had to deal with a yes, but sometimes we have to deal with wait. And sometimes we have to believe and trust God when his answer is no. You know, a lot of us won't accept that answer. When God says no, we says, well, he must, he, we take it as wait. Because what we want to do is we want to wait till God does what we tell him to do. And we forget the role. He's the Lord, we're the servant. He's the master, we're not. And we forget who the boss is. And we're going to boss him around as if we're smart enough to boss the king of the universe around. But we know our problems better than he does. No, we don't. But we can't help but sometimes feel that way. He's not our errand boy. He's not. So sometimes he's going to tell us no. Sometimes it's to protect us because we are not... We really couldn't meet the challenge of answered prayer. I wanted to be a football player real bad. But if I'd have been rich, if I'd have been a football player in my town, there'd have been so many stinking temptations, I'd have never. You know, I don't know that I could have dealt with that. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'd made it through that challenge. Sometimes God protects us by saying no. Sometimes God says no, and we really can't figure out why exactly he says no. Sometimes he says no because we have other plans. God chose not to heal Tina from 
from a rheumatoid arthritis, but he changed the direction of her life into children's ministry. And she's done tremendous things. And he healed her of the need to be healed. She's not always thinking about, oh, I'll do this when I get healed. She goes and does whatever she can today. That's why she wears me out. <laughs> she doesn't just do whatever she can today. She does everything she can today, you know. The challenge of answered prayer, whatever the answer is, is to trust God and to submit to him, to truly lay your requests before him and to lay yourself before him and trust him. Are you having a tough time right now with an answer God has given you? Are you hoping and, and maybe pretending that the answer is wait when deep down inside you know it's no? Are you stuck waiting for God to do things your way? Well, now is the time to get unstuck. Trust that he knows best. Submit to his will. And accept the challenge of answered prayer. When we were going through the thing with the church in Kokomo and having to suddenly move up everything and, and, and quickly make a lot of decisions, I got a, a note from a lady in the church named Mary Davis. Mary, Mary had been a pastor's wife till her husband died, and she was old enough to be my mother, and she was very supportive of, of the church and of me. And uh, Mary wrote a nice note, and she gave me this scripture that I had never looked at this way before. I'd like to share it with you. But I, I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of, his glorious, of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. You know, if we submit to him, if we're in his will, endless energy, boundless strength, a glorious way of life, utter extravagance. Not talking about luxury, talking about extravagant blessings of all kinds that God wants to give you. If you accept the challenge of answered prayer, the challenge of really submitting to him. I'd like the team to come now. God's speaking to you. Why don't you let him deal with you right now? Open your heart to him. Open your heart to this challenge. Open your heart to the adventure that he wants to give you in your life.